0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.
1: Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. And again, we are going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And we're going to talk about some of the... The meaning of some of the warnings that we have in the epistles, such as Ephesians, where we are told to be concerned about being tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Uh, some A young fellow I know that uh, grew up in the, our, our community uh, actually said evidently on Facebook, I didn't see it, but uh, that he had... Dreams, uh, of being pulled into the siphon. And, uh, the siphon is, uh, a, a, a siphon that, uh, takes, uh, huge, you know, three-foot pipes and takes water out of the, uh, reservoir that's down below where we live. And, uh, it has bars in front of it now and they have a chain link fence so nobody can go near it. But when the kids were young, they were told to stay away from the siphon because it could suck you into the pipe. And most of the time you couldn't, but there was some damage to it where a person could actually be sucked into the pipe if they were swimming there and got down too close to it. But they've repaired that now, but here he is, grown man, uh, decades later and still having nightmares about being sucked into the pipe. Well, the truth is many people have already been sucked into the pipe and they've come out the other side and they cannot see where they were before. They... They, they actually, they live next door to you. They may walk down the same street, but their ability to see the reality around them has decreased. They just simply cannot see certain things in the reality around them. They have spiritual blinders on because they've been sucked into what we call sin, trauma. Now, everybody has sinned. Uh, I saw on the network somebody was debating about the fact that somebody applied to the government to get benefits, uh, to get an operation so that he would have repairs to his back. And now he feels relief and now he uh, is uh, supposedly getting better. Although there's a great history of these operations not lasting more than a year or more, uh, we hope that It does last. We hope that it is to his advantage. We tried to show him other alternatives, but he had been suffering for some time and this was what he wanted. So he chose that. And I hope it works out. But the reality is, is the problem isn't the fact that some people apply to a bankrupt government for benefits. The problem is the fact that we don't have the kingdom of God to apply to. We do, but we don't. Not not the kingdom of God like it was at the time of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to take a kingdom away from the government of the day, the Pharisees of the day, the Herods of that day, and appointed to another group, which he called his little flock, which was the apostles and the 70. I was actually going over the list of names that is attributed to the 70 the other day. Uh, there there are actually several lists that have come down to us through early church writers saying who was on that list of 70. And although I probably learned that once uh, years ago, uh, half a century ago in school, you know, I kind of forgot about it. Nowadays, you can actually Google it and find the 70, uh, or at least, the, and, and the lists are slightly different, but they're pretty close uh, to the same list. And uh, they... Uh, They tell you who those men were. But what were they doing? That's one of the things a lot of people don't understand. And see, that early church government, like the church in the wilderness, were the government of God on earth. It was a different form of government than the government of the Romans and the government of the Greeks and the government of the Corinthians. Although, if you go back in history, and I actually added a little blurb to our page on elders... Uh, If you go back in history, you'll find a time in many of these cultures like Rome, like some of the Greek uh, city states, like Corinth, that they had a system of elders not to make laws, not to rule over the people, but kind of an advisory council of leaders to try to steer society in the right direction. And they were called old men. Uh, and they were taken from the old men of society, and uh, which were the elders of each family. And uh, they gathered together to try to make a nation follow and, and lead that nation without exercising authority, without making laws, without conscripting an army, without taxing the population. And these were free governments. And and many cultures show a history of those free governments lasting sometimes a uh, you know only a hundred years, sometimes twelve years, uh, uh, sometimes hundreds of years. And studying those governments tells you where you might be steered wrong, why where you might be tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, and seeing. What did they do to steer them away from a government of freedom and into a government of bondage? Because the Bible is all about that. You know, the the bondage of Egypt, uh, the ruler Nimrod of Babylon, uh, the Caesars versus the Jesus Christ. What was John the Baptist doing? Why did he have to go out into the wilderness? Why wasn't he in the temple? Why wasn't he baptizing in the laver? Understanding what was actually going on in history as you read the biblical text. And then maybe a little understanding of allegory and metaphor and how the language was used. Why did the Essenes have such a drastically different interpretation of the Torah? Yet they were they were reading Hebrew. Why weren't they doing the same things that the Pharisees were doing? And in reality, those men that we call Essenes, they didn't call themselves Essenes. But those men had many of the doctrines and philosophies and policies that we see Christ teaching that was completely contrary to what the Pharisees were teaching. And yet both Pharisee and Essene were reading in Hebrew the same Torah. Although admittedly that the Pharisees also had you know, a Greek Torah and whenever you translate, there is a danger because translators are traitors. And they may not be the wise men of your society that are translating into this other language. And of course, that's actually what has happened, and it's happened even today in the New Testament. But enough of it is there that with the Holy Spirit you should have no trouble interpreting the text of the Scriptures, it's there. But that's exactly what Christ said, is that he wasn't going to teach you by flesh and blood, by much study, you know, forever studying and never coming to a knowledge of the truth. He was going to teach you by revelation. Revelation of what? The Holy Spirit. Well, how do we draw near that Holy Spirit? You know, in my my old age, my hearing is not as good as it used to be. I mean, I still pretty much, I can hear pretty good. My grandkids will attest to that. <laughs> they they can't get by with as much as they thought they could. <laughs> but I I sometimes have to get up and go into the other room to hear the conversation clearly of what's going on, you know, when I'm working in my office and then also keeping track of what's going on in the rest of the household. I'll have to get up and go over there and listen to to see what they are saying. But uh, the modern person hears the Bible and and they, they don't understand what they're hearing because they often lack the revelation of the Holy Spirit. So what you want to do is get closer to the Holy Spirit. Just as I get up and go to the other room and get closer to the source of, what is that noise? What are they saying? <laughs> well, the Bible is very clear about how you get closer to God and closer to the Holy Spirit. And it's Corbin. It's sacrifice. And what is Corbin and sacrifice? Again, I remind you because so few people tell you this, the word charity appears nowhere in the Old Testament, but it appears all the time in the New Testament. But that word charity that we see in the New Testament is often translated from the same word that comes as love. And the word that actually charis, which actually could be translated charity, is never translated charity. So, the, the you know, when Jesus says this word, we see it translated often as love, almost always as love. But when Paul says it, many times it's translated charity. Same word in the Greek. And if you don't know those things, you could be led astray by ministers who create winds of doctrine that are actually designed to toss you to and fro. To take you in different directions other than where Christ was taking you. So we're going to take a look at one of these winds of doctrines. And uh we're going to, we're kind of, it may be a little bit of a bumpy ride for some of you. But we want you to realize that what we're really trying to do is... We're using intellectual explanations and information to direct you towards the Holy Spirit by breaking the chains of those doctrines you have already accepted. We are going to, and we give you a heads up, we are going to attack your delusion. You're never supposed to attack somebody's delusion. But we are going to do it, but we're not attacking you. We're just attacking the false doctrines and how they come about. We're going to explain how they come about so that you are not tossed to and fro. So you set your sails with Christ. And, and that's what we need to all do. In, in Ephesians 4, 13, we see, Till we all come in the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of... Of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We have to have the stature of Christ. That means we have to come in the name of Christ. What did Christ come to do? He came to serve through sacrifice. What is more charitable than that? What is more sacrifice? Sacrifice is charity. Corbin is translated uh, sacrifice in the Old Testament. But when we see it in the New Testament, it, it's also translated offer. Uh, free will offer, uh, oblation. But it means you give up something. And But in the New Testament, they just put down Corban and in one place they put treasury as a translation of the word Corban. Because your sacrifice at the time of Herod ended up in a treasury. and uh, But the Corban of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect. So that individual who got the operation because he applied to the state, and he says, well, I've paid into the state all these years. I should be able to apply to him. But the fact is the state has no money. They have thieves and robbers and maws have eaten up all the money, uh whatever, whatever way you want to call it. And he says, well, they still have an obligation to me. Well, they're, the way they fulfill their obligation to you is they take away from your neighbor and they take away from your children and your grandchildren and your neighbor's children and grandchildren because they're borrowing everything they give because they're bankrupt. There's nothing in the treasury. It's gone. There's nothing in Social Security. There's nothing in Medicare or Medicaid. It is all dependent upon the power of government to take away from those that are here because those that are here are in bondage. They've already been sucked into the siphon. They were sucked into the siphon a generation or more ago. And they are all back in the bondage of Egypt. You cannot get out of the bondage of Egypt by filling out a piece of paper and say, I renounce the Pharaoh. That isn't the way Moses did it. It isn't the way Abraham did it. It isn't the way Jesus Christ did it. He led the people back to what it was that brought them into bondage to begin with. They were swimming too close to the siphon, <laughs> and it sucked them in. That's the problem. You weren't near the Holy Spirit, but you were near the siphon, the sucking uh powers of Satan. And he sucked you in. He sucked your fathers in and your grandfathers in. And now you were born in servitude. You were born in bondage. And you probably coveted your neighbor's goods already. You you probably have been... Well, I can guarantee you've been slothful in the ways of the kingdom. And the slothful should be under tribute. So that's where you're at. Now, a lot of people don't want to hear that. They want to think that Jesus has saved me and he has died for my sins. And But he also... You know, the New Testament tells you that you would be made merchandise again. You would become entangled again in the yoke of bondage. And this would come about because of covetous practices... And you would even curse your children. And, of course, you are the children of people that this was done to. So you have been cursed by that bondage. It is great that you don't take the benefits of the world. But there is no righteousness in that. That alone is not righteousness. Just not taking the benefits of the world. So people who want to condemn others who end up taking from those benefits, you know, to have an operation or whatever. You have no right to condemn them for that. You let God do the condemning. Ask yourself this. Am I seeking the kingdom of God on earth? Now, seeking a little cabin out in the woods or a little farm somewhere or on a piece of land where you're getting by and your family's getting by and you help a few people in your neighborhood is not kingdom. That is, there is no grace in that. What grace is there if you only love those who love you? The kingdom is about loving people on the other side of the planet you have not even met. We have a minister on the other side of the planet that I have never even met. And I am just as concerned about him as the ministers who show up on my doorstep. And I I, I work till four o'clock in the morning for him as much as for anybody else. And I work for men I do not even know yet. And women, I do not even know it yet. And and I work for children not yet even born. And I cast my bread upon those waters. I'm not hiding out in the wilderness. God just put me here. And for a reason. We hope to in the future, this is our prayer, that we will have the kingdom of heaven based upon the Spirit to be a sanctuary for all those who believe. But there's a lot of people who tell me they believe, but I do not see it in their actions. So we're going to be looking for that. And we're going to show you how this being tossed to and fro comes into this with every wind of doctrine. Ephesians 4.3 say, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body, one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all but unto every one of us given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ so what is that and what did Christ say He says, not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do it the will of the Father. So are you really seeking the kingdom of God? And we're not talking about are you seeking to go to heaven when you die? Because the kingdom of God is for the living. Are you really gathering? Do you really have a daily administration? Does your daily administration not just for the people in your community, the people in your state, the people in your country, but the people in the whole world? How is that the kingdom you're seeking? Are you coming under one faith? There is only one church. I'm not saying that we are that one church. I'm saying there is one church and we strive to conform to that church by conforming to Christ. And if we are conforming to Christ, we will be gathering together not for ourselves, not for our little cabin at the end of the lane, not for our little congregation that we've gathered together with people that listen to us and make us feel good and we make them feel good. But we gather together with those who gather with Christ and in the name of Christ and in the character of Christ, which means people who come together to serve others. Not to serve their own self-righteousness, because I don't take those benefits, but those who become the benefit of others. Who'd rather give up the five loaves and fishes that someone gave them to eat to others and they themselves go hungry. Do you sacrifice like that every time you come together in a congregation? Or do you come in together in a congregation? Anybody need anything? Oh, nobody needs anything? Oh, okay. I'll just put my money back in my pocket and I won't give anything. Or are you one of these, you know, Messianic Jews who say, Oh, well, tithing is only if you give sheep and cattle and and produce of the trees. Uh I don't raise any sheep or cattle or produce of the trees. Therefore... I don't have to tithe. I'm a laborer. I don't have to tithe. Only shepherds have to tithe. <laughs> I mean, that's... that. I mean, it's so silly, it's ridiculous. But to them, they are absolutely convinced. And of course, now, I don't know if they would be as convinced if they were shepherds. They'd probably come up with some other excuse why they should not give. Why they should not sacrifice. Why they should not be charitable. On a national kingdom basis. It's great to be charitable with those people right there who will smile back at you. But anyway, we had talks about that in the last couple of shows. Ephesians 4.13 says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto the perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. We'll come back to that. The slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait and deceive. But speaking the truth, this is us, supposedly, hopefully, in love, which is that word also for charity, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, even the anointing, the anointing of the character of Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted, compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part Maketh increase of the body, increase of the body, unto the edifying of itself in love. Again, there's that word love. Often translated love, but also charity. So now, if we go back to these other words, um, let's take a look at cunning craftiness. That's actually a a word that has part of Pandora's box in, in its construction. This craftiness, this subtlety—you know, Satan was subtle, cunning, craftiness, specious or false wisdom. That's that's what that word means, and it doesn't appear. You know, it's only appears about five times in the Bible. But the other word, the slight, it talks about this this um, slight of men. That's an interesting word. That's uh that's the word cubia, which has to do with cube. Like the Rubik's cube, and it's a metaphor for the deception of men, and we're going to, we're going to need to cover why that is in there and what what that reminds me of, in order to progress into this uh, document that somebody sent us, and we'll do that right when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Okay, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Over the last uh, half century, I've been on this journey seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and uh, and it's taken me to a lot of doorsteps that uh, that uh, were winds of doctrine that were actually leading you away from the kingdom. But that journey was based upon an inner, you know, calling within myself, and, and one of the first things I had to do in the first, say, five years, is begin to set down all the doctrines that I had accepted in the earlier part of my life and say, that's not it. That's not it. And I had to be willing to say that's not it, which leaves you kind of out there treading water because you have to be willing to say, say, first, what you've already picked up is not it and set it down. And then everything that people offer you, after that, you have to sit down. Somebody told me a story years ago about a guy who was drafted into the army, and then every moment of free time when he was in the army, he would walk around and pick up little pieces of paper and uh, on the ground and look at them and say, nope, that's not it. And he'd throw it away, and he'd pick up another one and say, nope, that's not it, and and they guys got worried about him because he was just obsessed in picking out this paper and then throwing it away. And uh so finally, they sent him to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist, he, he would do it even in the office of the psychiatrist and he would throw it away. And finally, the psychiatrist decided that he was crazy and gave him a Section 8. And he picked up the Section 8 and he looked at it and he says, ah, that's it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Section 8 is when you get out of the army. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's what he was looking for all along. And in the looking, he got what he wanted. (laughs) But if he hadn't been looking, they would have never given him the piece of paper he was looking for. So the process is part of the solution. That's why Jesus doesn't come and say, study, uh, actually it doesn't say in the Bible, study to show thyself approved. It says, be diligent to show thyself approved. And they just translate it, study. But they only translate that word study there. And uh, But they do say things like forever studying and never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Uh, so, it's not study. It's not by flesh and blood. It's not by eating of the tree of knowledge that you will figure out what's going on. It's by revelation of the Holy Spirit. And you get close to the Holy Spirit through sacrifice, through charity, through giving up your time, laying down your life for your fellow man. That's how you get grace. That's how you get love of God. That you do that. Because that's the character of Christ. That's what he came to do. So that's how you do it. So you got that. I can leave now. I can go do something else. I don't have to be on the program for the rest of the hour and the next hour and another hour this afternoon. And I might even be on the community call today. Because I already told you what you have to do. You have to lay down your life for your fellow man in a way that strengthens your fellow man, not weakens him. I mean, if your fellow man says, I need, I need, I need, and he's an alcoholic, you don't give him a fifth of whiskey because that's not really what he needs. He needs to get sober. You don't enable his addictions, his weaknesses, which occasionally means, you know, you, you got you to gotta be a little hard on him. You got to say, you know, you're a whited sepulcher. You're full of dead men's bones. You know, you have to occasionally, you know, like Donald Trump, you're fired. Because that's what Jesus was doing with the money changers. You're fired, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired. But he didn't pick new money changers because that was not what the king was supposed to do. The king is supposed to let the people pick the new money changers, the new porters of the temple. That's what they were, as porters of the temple. And they were to be picked not by their cleverness, But by God's revelation in their own heart. So they were to look out amongst themselves. And pick men they trust. And and the church would appoint them over that matter. The church was not going to pick those men. And we're going to get into that. Show you how important that is. To what we call. The Declaration of Sacred Purpose Trust. Which is one of the documents that we've put up. Now these documents are pieces of paper. They're prima facie evidence. They're there to be evidence of a path that we're taking that is a path of Christ they're not oaths they're not contracts Uh, they do bear witness to an obligation but they're not enforceable in a court of law they're evidence of something else and that something else must be based upon spirit so anyway we'll explain more about what all that meant but let's go back to that Rubik's Cube, that cubia that we see mentioned in the, in Ephesians. That is a part of this deception of man. This this way of sliding of men with a cubia. And when I, when I realized that, you know, reading the text in the Greek and seeing the connection, they actually, it's connected more to like dice and you can load dice so that you can throw them down and they're going to get a certain number more often than not because they're weighted on the bottom, and so a certain number will often end up on the top because they're loaded dice. And that's what people do—they're throwing out their winds of doctrine, and they've they've created an imbalance in their perception. But anyway, what the, it appeared to me is a an image of a a scene in the movie UHF with uh, Weird Al Yankowitz and it's a, two old men sitting on a park bench, and one of them is a blind man. He's got a little white cane, I think. There in the scene, and he's got a Rubik's cube, and he is he turns it, and he holds it over to the guy next to him, and the guy next to him says, "Nope, that's not it." And then he goes back and he turns it again, and he hands it over to the guy next to him, and he says, "Nope, that's not it." <laughs> And he, then he turns it again, hands over the guy, and they're just sitting there. And the the guy who's saying, nope, that's not it, looks very bored with the whole thing, but he's sitting there. And then the blind man's trying to solve the Rubik's Cube. He can't see what he's doing. He just keeps turning it. Eventually, I guess he'll get it, but it may take forever. As <laughs> the man who is turning the Rubik's Cube cannot see. And that's what, you know, I have behind me here stacks of books. I actually have books over here I have pamphlets over here people send me stuff all the time they've been doing it for almost 50 years and uh, some, some of these books are two and a half inches thick and some of them have certain value but I had to depend upon the Holy Spirit whether I'd even look at them and you know somebody sent me a really big thick book one time it was written by a Jesuit famous Jesuit who's actually kind of really bad-mouthing Jesuits I I thought, how oh, am supposed to read this? It was actually somebody very close that sent it to me. And so I just fanned through the book and all of a sudden I saw a page. I mean, literally, you know, like you do with your thumb, you're just fanning through. And I, I saw a page and I caught it and I opened up to that page and I looked on that page and I saw a paragraph there and it almost was like highlight. I was drawn to that paragraph and I read that paragraph and it was important. It was actually Critical understanding a whole uh, set of things that are going about in the Catholic Church and which are now now actually what is it twenty five years later coming to fruition with the present Pope you know the, who is very communistic very socialistic and he's actually kind of the fulfillment of that one little paragraph that I read in in the text I thought well that's important and. I thought, well, maybe there's more in this book. So I started reading, 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 page, to page, to page, nothing else. Just that one page. <laughs> that was the only thing that was really of value. Nothing else touched my spirit. And I found it just by fanning through the book. And it really, that's what, I, the reason I tell you that story is that's the way the Holy Spirit works. Now you can, you can now that I've told you, you can fake it. But the reality is the Holy Spirit literally can lead you like that. It's not by flesh and blood, but the Spirit. But how is it do you know that you're listening to the Holy Spirit or listening to some other Spirit? Well, by the fruits of what? Come from what you do. And, and you, you look at me, you may say, well, there's not much fruit there. And maybe there isn't. But then what's fruit? what's really the fruit of the Holy Spirit? How do you detect what is true fruit of the Holy Spirit? Because there's people out there say, claiming to, you know, cast out demons and 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 healing people and all this stuff. It's, it's fraud. It's fake. It's clever. But it's not really the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And uh you're just going to have to figure out who's who. But you're going to have to use the Holy Spirit. So anyway, somebody has uh, sent us, you know, and I, I sent out an email on the subject and he, and he he goes by all kinds of different names, you know, Americo, James, um, Stephen, Mark. And so I'm not sure what his real name is. I don't even know if he's married. I don't know if he has children. I don't know if he's raising his children. I don't know if he's divorced. I, I really don't know anything about him. Uh, somebody sent me a picture of him and I saw the picture and, and uh, I, I took his information which he sent to one of the groups which are Google groups. You're not supposed to send attachments to the Google groups. You're not supposed to debate. You're not supposed to be soliciting. You're not supposed to be farming emails. The Google groups are very specific groups. To, that are based upon geographical location so that you can gather together so that you can actually do what Christ said, which was to live by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. You can gather together in the congregations like we see in the first century and have your own Pentecost, have your own, choose your own. Uh, ministers and leaders and take, learn to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity instead of depending upon uh, men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, which is the church. And we have huge amounts of information showing you how this was done in the past, how it was done in the early church, you, and that information is at, at uh, preparing you and it is His, his only church, and we give it all away for free. Huge amount of data and information most of which was at least typed in by me. But we have lots of people working on this together as a team. And so I took what he sent and I I made it available to all the ministers throughout the network. Now, of course, he's been creating his own little network within our network of people that are really not a part of our network at all. And uh, and with those people, they were on, because he met them at, some of our uh, gatherings, he used them to post on other groups and send this attachment. Now, the guidelines for these groups say no attachments. They've said it for years now and the, the link is sent out once in a while specifically reminding people of the guidelines, but it's often on the bottom of every single email where you can go and read the guidelines. But they don't care about that. They don't care about The guidelines for these groups now in the guidelines for the group, we have links to other groups where you can go and debate. So we're not, we're not stifling free speech. We just say this is used for this. And if you want to debate, you go over to this other group. And we have over 20,000 emails on the other groups that you can use for debates. And I've actually put links to some of the material that he's produced on those in that debating group already. He doesn't go there and go, but he wants to debate where he wants to debate, which is a group designated for another purpose. It shows his his disregard for law and disrespect for other people and disrespect for the labor of other people. But, of course, now he's not going to see it that way. he's he's going to see that we're not being nice to him or not fair to him or that we're, you know, because he believes there's merit in his work because somebody told him that. And of course, he believed it already. He was just looking for confirmation. But the people who are confirming it are not a part of his holy church. And I'll give you an example because I'll actually read you the comments of the ministers who are actually doing the work of the church. They're not doing it as well as the first century church, but they're beginning to learn. And so I, I submitted it to all of them and at the same time he was moderated on the group that he was on and some of the other people that were forwarding these attachments were also moderated that doesn't mean they're kicked off the group they can still send their emails but the emails have to be for the purposes of the group and not for you know soliciting uh, not for you know undermining the purposes of the group and because they're they they most all of these people have been around for years and they have never formed Or become a part of a congregation. Uh, One uh, of the people uh, who was promoting this work of uh, Stefan Americo, etc. Had been a part of a congregation, but not a viable part of that congregation. I'm sure they think they were, but not really like the first century church in any way, shape, or form. Uh, They were a personal contact minister, which we'll get into later but a personal contact minister is not a minister of the church it's a personal contact minister that somebody who's volunteered it's like a greeter at walmart they're not a part of the executive board but they will greet you at walmart and say you know and if you ask them uh, where is such and such they will they might say oh that's that department's over there <laughs> but basically they're just greeters at walmart and they're they're not you know they're not on the minister's group they have a, a personal contact ministers group of their own. The ministers are on the personal contact group because all ministers are personal contacts too, but they're also ministers. So anyway, we submitted it to the ministers group and and let them uh, look it over. And uh, they all had uh, things that they would, you know, comments that were made. Here, one comment I'll read to you uh, from a minister been around for a long time. Some people find it hard to accept the way was given to another before them, especially when it brings most of what they studied and thought to be true to not. It seems as though the longer they have studied, the more elaborate their excuses will be. And so anyway that's they didn't see any merit in his document. They see it was a lot of work. You know, it's 20 pages on one of the documents alone. Uh, But, you know, the Pharisees worked. uh, And Jesus was not easy on the Pharisee. He goes on to point that out. And so we may not, you know, we may have to take off the gloves a little bit with him. And he may think that we're being hard on him and everything. But Jesus, when he took the gloves off and, and called the Pharisees whited sepulchers and hypocrites and all these kinds of things, he was doing it out of love. Because they needed to be scolded. They were—they had taken the people in the wrong direction. They were making the word of God to none effect by their Corbin. And what is Corbin? The sacrifice. And of course, they were forcing the sacrifice. But even if you don't force the sacrifice, if you're not encouraging that and actually focusing on that sacrifice, you're not going to draw near the Holy Spirit and you're not going to do what the early church did. And the early church did focus on the Corbin the 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 box where they put what little they received in the form of money or goods was called korbanos uh and that was where they put money for the poor and the taking care of the poor in the first century and uh but much much of what came in for the poor immediately went out and we've talked about you know you know that rightly dividing the bread from house to house here's the apostles working in the government temple built by Herod, daily, after the resurrection of Christ. And they're working in that temple, rightly dividing the bread from house to house. That's Corban. That bread that they're dividing from house to house. That's the sacrifice to the people. People gave them that bread, and they were dividing from house to house so that people did not starve, so that the widows and orphans would be taken care of. The the whole image that you see in Acts 6 where they they are told to pick seven men. We show on our article about seven men that if you go back to the Old Testament, they were told to pick seven men, even eight, for a particular part of this welfare system through faith, hope, and charity they played a certain part and we we have articles that tell you who those men would be today and what you could do but you can't even come together like the early church to take care of one another you don't even sit down together in 50s you want your own we had a minister who worked really hard to develop his congregation and we saw him drifting away from the rest of the ministers he did not understand that his congregation was not the people he served but the people he gathered with, the ministers he gathered with. That's his congregation. If he doesn't realize that, he will not sit down in fifties. He will not see the miracle of the loaves and fishes. Because before the miracle of the loaves and fishes, Jesus told the people to sit down in fifties. And the way you do that is first you gather in tens. And then you sit down in fifties. You gather, you set yourself in fifties. It's not about sitting down in a group of... If 50 in your group? No, we only have 49. Can we bring somebody else over here? Now, He's telling you something. That you're not listening. And you don't hear because you're not listening with the Holy Spirit. If you, want, if you can't hear the Holy Spirit, how do you get closer to Him? Sacrifice. And what is sacrifice but charity? But if you're sitting around making excuses, Oh, I don't have to do any tithing or charitable tithing... Because I don't raise any sheep, you're, lo- you're lost already. I can't help you. You're gone. You're out there in la-la land. And you have need of repentance. The fact is, I can't help any of you. I, can't, I can point out that you don't have the Holy Spirit now because you're not seeing the truth. And I can give you rational arguments why you're not seeing the truth. Because you're doing contrary to the will of Christ and what he actually said to do. But the Holy Spirit is going to come into you when you really sacrifice. And the first thing you must sacrifice is your pride. Somebody said in response to that individual minister, I think you've voiced very significant observation here about their inability to see the truth because they already think they got it. And Jesus has whole parables about that, you know the you know the blind leading the blind you say you see, so you remain blind you know he says I, I I come to give sight to the blind, but take away the sight from those who say they see, and so if you're going around saying you see i I'm not going to tell you I see I'm telling you I'm looking, I'm trying to find, and I'll share with you everything I do see. And I could be wrong. Don't believe. You cannot believe in Christ by believing in me. You have to believe in Christ. But it has to be the real Christ. Not all these false Christs that everybody is drawing up with every wind of doctrine. He goes on and he mentions our article on cognitive dissonance and not attacking the delusion, etc. But basically, he comes down to the Holy Spirit in their hearts is what is important. But they're certain they already have the Holy Spirit. But do they? And so I have to come along and and that's part of my job as watchman on the wall. That's what Gregory means is watchman. Watcher. As I have to say, no, that's not it. You know, people are bringing me these Rubik's cubes. Is this it? Is this it? Is this it? No, that's not it. But I don't want us to sit there all day on the bench saying that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. That's not it. I want you to see again. And then you can you can actually maybe solve the Rubik's cube, but you have to see with the spirit of the the Holy Spirit in order to draw near. You need to sacrifice. So you need to gather together and start sacrificing, not just for your little congregation, but for people far away. And you've got to really sacrifice. If you're a rich man, you have to give half. I mean, it's not a I'm not it's not a law, but. There the rich man was giving half and that still wasn't enough if they wanted to receive and do more. They had to give up everything. And he was saying, come follow me. And that, that's a whole thing. And he was actually inviting that minister into the ministry. To become a minister of his church. I mean, an ordained minister of his church. You know there's you the the fact is if you want to get near the God if you want to walk in the stature of Christ, you need to come together to sacrifice, not to occupy the the day of the minister with is this it is this it is this it <laughs> that that's not it that's not seeking the kingdom, so anyway, we're gonna get into uh I also have uh, other comments from other ministers. We're going to go through those. And then we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of the document. And we'll do that when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom.
0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.
1: Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're talking about uh, Americo or, Stephen or Stephen's uh, document. And uh mostly I'm talking at first about the, uh, after setting the scene for this idea of people coming to me and saying, is this it? Is this it? And of course, now if it was just looking at a little Rubik's Cube, that'd be pretty easy. But the fact is they give you thick books and and thousands and thousands of words to read. And then they want you to respond only in writing. And uh, really what they are is they're addicted to this performance of creating doctrine by much studying. And so you give it back to them. I've been doing this for for decades and decades. And you give it back to them and you try to, you have to filter through and through all the, I'll have to say drivel, and... And get to what what's the point what what's the question? Can't you just give me a bullet point question? See this guy was on the network for years, and the network was created so that if you have a question, you write down that question you know it's you know sentence long, maybe two sentence long, and you uh post it on the network, or you can write the minister privately, and he the ministers meet weekly and And if that minister doesn't have the answer, he can give you, or he can find where the answer is. And that's how we've created these tens of thousands of pages of information. I I, I don't know uh, how many pages it all together is, but I mean, if you count, you know, uh, a 12-page document is about 5,000 words. I mean, typed, tightly typed pages. You could actually spread that out and make it a lot more. Well, you know, the books. There's a thousand pages of information in the books. And that's all online. And then there's hundreds of articles. Hundreds and hundreds of audios. All trying to... And we're trying to organize them all. All the time. With no pay. No salary. So that you can go in there and actually study. Now, he thinks he studied. But he, some of the very basics. And the explanations connected to them, He missed. But he never took his questions to an actual minister. Other than when he was at, you know, a retreat, he wanted everybody you know, he didn't come with a question, he came with here's my big document, read it. And then tell me what you think. He's got you know, he's got his Rubik's Cube. Is this it? Except it's gonna not I'm not gonna be able to say nope, that's not it. But actually ministers told him, Nope, that's not it, just by looking at the paper and the the spirit in which he brought it. That's not it. But he, he won't accept that. They, they have to read it, they have to use the flesh and blood intellect to come up and examine it. Why can't you just ask the question? It, but he's not asking the question of people who know. He goes around and finds people that are on the fringes and that's what one of the ministers will say is that and then he asks them and he finally finds people who will listen to him and and say that what you have is of merit, and then he that's his congregation. He's looking for people who will tickle his ears and and say what you have is of merit. And then that's who he loves. And then in return, he tickles their ears. And he forms this little fringe congregation, which is not a part of us. That we see no sacrifice coming from them. We see them helping no one. I mean, there were people that were in the state where he was that received terrible injury. Their family was economically devastated by this injury. And the church was helping him out to the tunes of thousands and thousands of dollars. People were going there and helping him run his business so that he could stay afloat and uh, recover. And this guy's in the same vicinity, and he doesn't—he's not no part of that. He's over there writing his document. He's not—he's not showing. He's not sitting down in tens. He's not sitting down in fifties. The same way with the other one who wanted us to help him out with his operation was hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, we've helped out people who had hundreds of thousands of dollars in bills, but we helped them reduce the bills. We helped pay some of them. We helped them make money back, but we also helped them find solutions that are healing. I mean, we've even laid hands on people and they've healed. Some of us. (laughs) Not everybody. Because everybody is not actually seeking the kingdom of God. They're seeking their self-righteousness and they want other people to seek the kingdom according to their wind of doctrine. So anyway, one minister who met him, he says, as I said before, I I I was never led to read Stephen's document. It's not because I didn't like him uh, or, or don't care. His approach was subtle. And of course, you know, I won't say any more about that. I had zero unction to look at it and still have no desire. I spent very short time with the guy, barely enough time to remember his name. And of course, because he changes his name, <laughs> it's a difficult, which is a pet peeve of me. Cause I have difficulty with names if people have one name. But anyway, situations like these are meant to be dealt with through other avenues of the church. And, of course, he could have done it according to the way the guidelines for the Google groups are set up. The network groups are set up. But he didn't. He chose not to. He chose that he was going to do it his way, which, of course, is the problem. It's not Christ's way. Bringing all the necessary parts, clarity, communications, counsel, healing, rebuke, etc. But he does not do that. He goes to this little group that he's created, and that's they say he's got merit, so he must have merit, I guess. Forward by communications to the spectating world. Spectators. Exactly what they are. That's what the, the people that are spectators. Not really involved. Not really coming in the name of Christ. Not really sacrificing daily. In real ways that could help people. It says, I admit these other avenues may not exist yet. He says, or may exist, but still need to be cultivated. And that's absolutely the case. Because we're not doing what the first century church did. We we have a skeleton. We have bones are barely connecting. Very little sinew and muscle is coming onto it. But we're trying to breathe. If you're not doing that, if you're not coming together in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, do not expect loaves and fishes. Because until they sat in fifties, Instead of just tens, instead of just their own little family and their friends, there wasn't going to be loaves and fishes. He goes on to say, "I can guarantee you one thing for sure: Elohim's people are here. They just haven't come together yet. The church has a focused direction, unwavering when it's uh, in its purest form. The key thing we should be identifying is, are they enemies or friends? If friends, we shall uh, provide the counsel given above. If an enemy, we should continue on the path. The very nature of the quarreling are designed to create fractures in established relationships. Distract and waste valuable time. Creating the very thing we oppose. And he said he goes on to say, "I do not need. Uh, I do not agree with Stephen's document. Reason being, I never read it. This doesn't mean that I don't care. I have spoken only from my brief encounter with him. As the church, we shouldn't have to explain what or why we believe the way we do. But if the precepts are followed by the Holy Spirit." you would know why we believe what we believe. People want me to prove things intellectually to them, but that's over there in the tree of knowledge. Again, all the proofs I give is to help get your hand off the wreckage of doctrine that you're now clinging to. Another story I'm fond of telling all the time is the man whose ship went down, he's clinging to wreckage, and finally he's rescued by a guy with a lifeboat who's trying to pull him up into the boat And I have this I've seen this on the video where he he will not let go of the very wreckage that has saved his life in order to be in the boat where he could actually be dry. And they cannot they they can not peel his hands off that wreckage. He won't let go. Let go of these wrecked doctrines that have led you the whole world back into the bondage of Egypt. Back into Babylon. Let go of that doctrine. Open your eyes and see the doctrines of Christ. Uh, He goes on, My question is, How in the world did the church get caught in this Greek mentality? Debates that lead nowhere. Debating until one understands. Impossible. How can one agree when one is opposed to the truth? The Greek arena was designed for blood and conflict. I will not go. Unless I am dragged in as a martyr. And that's. that's uh, The point is. That's what he wants to do. Is he wants to debate. And Paul says. you know the, That we're not to have anything to do with debaters. If he, if he didn't want to just debate. Then why didn't he just ask. The, the first question in his document. On the groups. Or directly with the minister. And allow him to answer that. Direct question. But he doesn't do that. Now of course now he's going to proclaim that maybe he did back there but you know getting an answer is not not equivalent to getting the answer you want. You may have got the answer but it wasn't the answer you want so you say I didn't get an answer because you don't see that you did get an answer it just wasn't the answer you want. Another minister he says I have a similar thoughts like those of Stevens. Yeah, I had similar thoughts like those of Stevens. I have been on a journey in life discovering some important things about life. The journey, and this is an older minister, probably older than any of the ones I've read from so far. The journey spans a time period of 30 years. I discovered I had several illusions which came from my involvement in brick-and-mortar churches. They were illusions, and they were not real, reality. But I had thought the information I was finding in the tree of knowledge was reality. It was my reality. In other words, we create a reality. We create a vision of the church through the tree of knowledge. We create this vision of what is right and what is wrong through creating these windy doctrines. He goes on to say, when I began to see the particulars of dwelling in the tree of life, In other words, what it looks like to dwell in the tree of life, I found I had subscribed to a mirage in the tree of knowledge platform in which I had previously stood. I had been taking a stand ready to become a martyr on things which were not well founded. And he said this surprised him. I came to the father and said, what is your reality? You know, And I tell the story when I first began to really... Change directions, you know I was always seeking the truth, but I was always being led by men who did not have the truth, not led well because I was a little bit of a rebel and said that 's not it, that's not it, that's not it. But when I finally began to see what it was is when I admitted that I could not figure it out. My study, my tree of knowledge was inadequate to give me the message of the tree of life. I stopped eating from the tree of knowledge. And began to try to eat of the tree of life. Seek to eat of the tree of life. And of course, how do you get there? Sacrifice. Charity. Giving up your vanity. Giving up your stuff. Giving up your the wreckage of the doctrine that you held at one time. And being willing to give it up. To know the whole truth and provide for it. And knowing the whole truth and providing for it means to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Set yourself in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. And then start. In order to do that, you had to contribute. You had to sacrifice. Because that's what Christ came to do, to sacrifice. You had to give something of yourself. And that means maybe something of your stuff. Whether you're a shepherd or a potter or whatever. You had to give something of yourself. Not just to your friends, but you have to give it up entirely. Sacrifice. The altars of God. You had to become an altar of clay or an altar of stone and start sacrificing. So he said, uh, his prayer was, what is your reality? I know that your reality trumps all other realities. And I desire to see things through your eyes, Father. He does not answer such a prayer instantly, necessarily. Uh, even Paul, even though he was instantly struck off, uh, uh, kind of curious as to what Paul was thinking just before he got struck off his horse. But Paul had to go to the desert and ponder these things and learn much. That must have been a struggle. But anyway, in fact, it often takes months before I begin seeing things more clearly. And I hope I am seeing them in accordance with the way he sees them as I revise my thinking to conform to his, which is what repentance is. It's changing the way you think. He goes on to say, I sense Stephen has not yet realized he lives within his reality, his illusion. I sense he does not think he needs to remove himself from the trap of his off-the-grid illusions. He wants, that's a a topic that has come up in relationship to Stephen and some of the others uh, that have brought the same kind of message. This off-the-grid, out of the system, you know, exit Babylon. To him, it seems like a better lifestyle that everyone should want. And it may be what God wants for you, but maybe God wants to put you in the cities. Maybe God wants you to do something else somewhere else. The question is, are you listening to the Holy Spirit or are you listening to your own spirit? Which is usually a spirit of pride. He goes on to say, sometimes it is startling experience when we become aware that we are trapped within our own illusion. Again, that's back to attacking their delusion. But this minister is talking about discovering that you even have an illusion and delusion. I have done it several times. I became angry with myself. How could I be so stupid? I criticize myself. But when we refuse to admit. We could be so stupid. Then we assume. It is others who are off base. And our pride keeps us in the trap. Of our illusion. I believe it would help Stephen. Immensely. If he could physically meet. He goes on. Uh, uh, describing how we can meet. So then, what approach might help him? He—that's what he finally comes up with—is the the heat of the fire, which is trials and tribulations, is effective for burning out old, worthless illusions. If we learn real love, then we will not help him remain weak under his own illusion. That's in parentheses. Rather, we hope to find ways to encourage him to welcome the fire of the Holy Spirit. A convicting fire, which points out the sin and foolishness within us. And that, of course, is why we need to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. And set ourselves in that. And we're going to talk more about how that happens. We cannot pretend to be delegates doing the work of the Holy Spirit. We do not have the power to move the Holy Spirit into action. Although we can certainly pray, prayer is not a magical power. It is a petition. That's right. When I said, I don't know, I can't figure this out. You have to show me. Then things began to happen. Revelation, information came. I didn't have to go out and get it. It came to me. In stacks. And the Father grants petition only when He decides it is wisdom to do so. In other words, God doesn't tell me everything, He tells me what I need to know. But I have to be willing to hear it no matter how much that truth hurts. And so, anyway, I explained certain things uh, to the ministers that I was seeing. I, I held off, I didn't answer questions. Uh, or even Stephan's questions, I wanted other people to look and, and, and give their feedback, and most of the ministers did, or many of them. I, I didn't take a survey. But I jotted down some of the things they said, and one said, you know, when I did finally respond, uh, nail on the head, they called it. He goes on to say, uh, I have not put it into words, but I observed that those who have been uh, giving uh, Stephen confirmation are all the kind of off-grid people, you know, looking to be separated, get out of the system, you know, get out of Babylon kind of people. But that's not what Christ started with. He didn't start with get out of Babylon. He started with seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. He started with sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Sit down in the fifties. That's how you get there. Ten, then fifty. If the same people wanting His Holy Church to provide them with things like IDs and passports and everything. That's what, what he's appealing to. The real frustration is not the writings that we present, but the fact that we aren't as concerned about that stuff they want. So they nitpick, we must be wrong, because we, we did not tickle their ears with, oh yes, you have lots of merit. And they didn't like that. Another minister says, uh, you know, he mentions uh, legal framework and 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 this same time-consuming and everything. And my response was that this diatri- diatribe approach, which from decades of experience on my part, is a black hole of time. It is like the other minister says, this Greek debating forum thing. Uh, Jesus did not engage in debate all the time. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, many questions that were put to him went unanswered. He answered them with parables, because he was trying to speak to your heart. He he did say, you know, the corbin of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect. Why? Because you would do no more aught for your parents, because you said, "I gave at the temple; they can get social security. I don't have to take care of them." See, that's what. You know, people, oh, I'm out of the system. I don't want to be a part of the system. I don't want to use the numbers. I don't want to go get a job. You know, but I no. you're in the system. Be a good servant in the system. Make the money. Now, now, maybe God is pulling certain people out of not using certain IDs and systems and all this stuff. But if you're not fulfilling your obligation to your family, I mean, this requires sweat. This requires toil. It requires soul-searching objectivity. You know, what am I doing with the life that God has given me? Am I squandering it? Am I becoming lazy? Am I becoming self-indulgent? But I can tell you this, the diatribe approach, where people are handing me documents saying, Is this it? Is this it? Is this it? It will consume all my time. And the only reason I'm giving time now to this, is so that other people will see. Because we are going to answer some of his questions. Probably won't get them all in this show. We'll get them in the next. And uh uh we'll have call-ins and everything else. Does anyone uh notice where all of his document ends up leading? And that, that's a key thing. He, he wants to make the church a separate jurisdiction. Of course, the church is a separate jurisdiction. But to give coverture to the families. No, that's not what the church is supposed to do. The church is, it cannot be separate and giving you coverture. And not in the way that he's talking about, with jurisdictional. And, and getting land off the tax rolls and, and getting it out of tax. Everybody wants to do that. And I understand. But the land we want to get out, and we want it to get out intact, is the walking, breathing land we call people. But in order to do that, first you have to have the Levites come out. The ministers come out. who are not going to be of the world But they are going to be in the world. And that's what the church is. It's those ministers. The called out in the wilderness was the Levites. And the called out in the New Testament was the church. And the the Levites were called the church in the wilderness. And the church appointed by Jesus Christ was this called out group. The ecclesia. It wasn't the congregation of the people. The congregation of the people are in bondage. But if we come out. And gather the people in the name of Christ, in the character of Christ, in the sacrifice of Christ, in the love of Christ, in the faith of Christ. They not only will be able to come out in mass, but they will come out and survive coming out. Because God will stand before them and harm. There is no precedent for the guy taking people to the edge. Moses taking people to the edge of the desert and saying, you're free, run for it. And go back, get your free run for it. They came together and God led them out. If you are not led to come together, you're probably not listening to the Holy Spirit. If you're not led to sacrifice for others, even those you don't know, then you're probably not listening to the Holy Spirit. Because that's the way, that's the character that Christ came in. If you're just all caught up in your doctrines, And your interpretations, then you're probably not being led by the Holy Spirit. You're being led by the Spirit of Vanity. We have been slothful in our responsibilities of caring for one another. Our parents were, our grandparents were slothful in that. Not that they were bad people, but they just were not as good. They were not perfected in Christ. If they had been, nobody would have signed up for Social Security. Nobody would have signed up for Medicare and Medicaid. Nobody would have been applying to the government for benefits because they know that that we were not to be that way. We weren't to pray to the men who call themselves benefactors. We weren't to make the state our father and we'd be the children of the state. We were to be children of God. Now, we haven't done that. And those people who are not taking benefits, that's fine. But if you're not becoming the benefit of others, you're not seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You're still slothful. You may not be covetous of anything but your own goods, but you're slothful in the ways of Christ. And you say, oh, well, we have our little congregation over here. No, 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 no. The kingdom of heaven is not a little congregation. The kingdom of heaven is a network, a nation. And you know, people say, oh, well, I don't see any evidence of the church taking on the roles of the Levites. And so, you know, I mean, like it took me like two minutes. I had quotes directly from first century church ministers. I mean, prominent first century church ministers that said the ministers were taking on the exact same role as the Levites. But they don't want to see it because they would have to become doers of the word and that's too inconvenient. And now we're at the questions... And we'll have to begin that <laughs> after a break. Uh, and this is just a little section. We probably won't get to call-ins, uh, until the next show, which will be later on this afternoon. You have to get on the network or find out when that is or go to preparing you. But anyway, we'll be right back and we'll, we'll get into questions. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I just checked my email and somebody took uh, umbrage with my uh, reference uh, in uh, the announcement of this particular radio series about debate. That somehow, or other because I, I I listed the things that are not permitted on a particular group. Now, the fact is we're not against debating things. We're against debating things in certain formats. We have an actual group. That anybody can join where they can go and debate all they want. I mean, within reason. And they can't be calling people names. I've gone on the radio and debated people who wanted to debate particular topics. But there is a spirit of debate that want to take pleasure in debating. Because really what they're... They're not interested in finding the truth. They're interested in uh appearing to have merit and appearing to have... uh a righteousness, which is self-righteousness. And that's really what what they're after, which is why you find this particular individual clinging to people who thinks what he has to say has merit. I go out to everybody. (laughs) I don't cling to anybody. That's why I'm in the wilderness is that I'm not, I'm not clinging to anybody. You're accepting my opinions doesn't, isn't what is required by me for me to spend time trying to tell you what i i am merely bearing witness to what i see and paul talks against those who d- take pleasure in debate and so all i did was send back that quote <laughs> where paul lumps uh, unrighteousness fornication wickedness covetousness maliciousness full of envy murder Debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things. I mean, they're all lumped together. Disobedient to parents. I really don't know anything about Stephen or Stephen. I don't know. Has he been married before? Has he been divorced? Has he been married several times? Does he have children? Does he have children that he takes care of or refuses to take care of? I don't know. I don't know anything about him, but he hasn't come together in a congregation and his big objection is that he doesn't want to sign a uh, Declaration of Sacred Purpose. And we've had a number of people recently who talk about the Declaration of Sacred Purpose that I don't want to sign a contract. Where is there a contract in the Declaration of Sacred Purpose? I mean, they don't even know what it is because they haven't really wanted to know. Well, all it is... And I'm not going to go through the whole thing right here. We will. We've got hours and hours of audios. We've got pages and pages to explain what it is. These guys don't get it. His entire paper opposing the Declaration of Sacred Purpose. He never actually. He 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 describes it in his own mind. He's come to a conclusion as to what it is, and then argues against what he's described. And what he described is not what it is. And so now I'm supposed to read all this and then debate what? His opinion of what we're doing and his objection to his opinion of what we're doing? (laughs) It's crazy. You know, it's like two blind men sitting on the park bench and one blind man says to the other, (laughs) is this it? (laughs) No. You can't do it that way. Why didn't he come to us and just ask a question? He's right there on the group. Why didn't he go to a minister of the church who actually gathers every week and discusses these things and studies these things and and, uh, writes himself and puts it out? Now, the minister there in Texas doesn't know everything that I know. And I probably don't know everything. As a matter of fact, I know I don't know everything he knows. He's an expert in some fields that I'm not an expert in. But that's, you know, the many parts of the body. But he has a pretty good perception, you know, and I've read from some of the things that he actually says, you know, in the earlier parts of this series. A pretty good perception of what's going on here. And so why didn't he ask him? If he didn't have the answer, he could have gone to somebody else. You know, we have a minister who just passed through Texas, a missionary, who could have explained it to him. But he's not a part of what we're doing. He's a part of the fringe, the other people who are spectators sitting out there doing nothing or very little. Certainly not a part of a, viable part of a congregation, much less a minister of the church. He goes to them. And they say he has merit, so he clings to them. Uh, Ear-ticklers just... You know, fellow back rubbers. But anyway, I said I would get into some of the questions, so we better get right to it. Uh, Our youngest minister did take a list of questions out of the document and presented them because he really didn't know what the answers are. But he is one of our youngest ministers, and he's, he's learning, but he wants to know, and so he put these questions. He was the only minister who thought that there might be some merit in what Stefan wrote. But it is, again, the youngest minister. And um, and we, we, we discuss, we deliberate these things amongst us. But, of course, Stefan is not a part of us. Well, I'm not even sure that he's a part of Christ, but I really don't know what he's doing. He's very secretive about that, which may be why he keeps changing his name. I don't know. I don't know. He doesn't know us. He hasn't met with me. He really didn't meet with the ministers that are there. He came to get them to read his document. He didn't, he, it's like, you know, you're going to take a course in college and you go to the finest professor that teaches nuclear physics and you come into his classroom and you come up to him first day and you hand him your paper on physics and you tell him, read this and tell me what you think. <laughs> You know, most of these teachers would take it and throw it in the garbage. You know, why? Why do I have to take I am busy. You know, we have ministers <laughs> uh, traveling. We have ministers in other states, miles from home, trying to help other people, teaching people how to help each other. And he comes up and all he wants us to do is sit down and read his little Rubik's Cube there. It's just crazy. Bold. Brass. When people are in need in, in, you know, near his own community, he doesn't come to their aid. He doesn't even want to know about it. He's just interested in his thing. And, you know, maybe I'm misjudging him, but that's all I see. And we judge them by their fruits. I see no fruits. I see virtually no fruits, paperwork. But I don't see the love of Christ coming out of him. I don't see honorable, you know, questioning or anything. But anyway, it may be there. And I hope that he turns around and repents and starts to actually come in humility and start to talk with us instead of trying to burn up our time, try to help out when we're helping others. I mean, he's never helped me change a colostomy bag. Some of our ministers have helped me do that. Some of our ministers are supported so that I can help other people. He doesn't do that. All he wants to do is take our time. So anyway, here's the first question. It is true. This is from a minister who is actually asking. It is true that there needs to be some form of, uh, he's asking, is it true that there uh, needs to be some form of notorial certification to establish a valid record of witnesses in, in the SBT? Well, were they filling all that out? With uh, Notary republics, etc., at Pentecost, uh, we we see no reference to anything like it. it just says witnesses, and uh, so if somebody fills out, uh, it says, it goes on. It says, do they need to be legally verified? Well, the answer is no. But the reality is, is the uh, declaration of second purpose trust form is verified. And even there is a certain legality to that verification. And we'll explain that later. But no, the answer is no. He, because Stefan was saying that, oh, you needed a notary and all this stuff. And we do have church notaries who can notarize documents. And we actually even accept notaries in some cases of documents that are uh, notarized by the, the state in the world, you know. We will take a look at them because we're looking for evidence, testimony. And that comes in many forms. You know, even if you read the FAMs in the United States government, uh, you know, in their their codes, they they say that an entry into a Bible is considered evidence of testimony. They actually list that off. Entry into a Bible. Personal letters. They're not notarized, but they are evidence. Legally accepted evidence. Proof that something took place. So, his idea that, oh, they have to be notarized or they're not legally accepted, is just, that's just his rule. It's not the rules of governments. So, anyway, uh, as a matter of fact, they also go on, the verbal testimony is accepted. Part of the sacred purpose trust document is that they have to send in another document that gives us ways to contact the people who are on the sacred purpose trust document so that I can call them up, the guy who filled out the pair I could call him up and say, hey, did you actually give him this? Did you actually sign this? And he could tell me. I can go to his house and I can ask him. I can verify what is on that document. It's part of that document. It's two documents. Actually, the document itself is three documents. And, and But there's another document they had to fill out so that I can get in contact. When my folks got married in Louisiana during World War II, they pulled two people off the street to be the witnesses to their marriage. <laughs> they didn't even know who they were. <laughs> and that was legal. <laughs> so, anyway and they didn't have a notary public there when they performed the wedding so that it's completely a crock you know and i could you go through a whole page of reading his document and it's all referencing stuff like that and that just doesn't make any sense but see that's what these documents do is they they lay these things out like they know what they're talking about they don't know what they're talking about and they're describing things i could spend my whole life following up these guys. Like I say, it's a black hole of time. Uh, goes on to say, does the overseer really need to be there physically present at, as a witness for the witness record to be valid in the SPT? No, for the same reasons I just mentioned. Because he can verify these things independently. You don't have to be in the same place. You know, people, two people can get married By a third person, and they can all be at different parts of the world. They just have to be in communication. And our communication, you know, I couldn't necessarily tell, is that really my wife's voice who said I do? (laughs) Or was that somebody else's voice over the microphone? But that can actually be a, a legitimate wedding. You can do that. But here we have written testimony and another document that verifies that I can go and get in touch with this person and verify what was happened. The reality is, that the sacred purpose trust document is just the beginning. We, we seldom seal those documents when they first come in far. We're far more in depth than birth certificates or anything else, because what proves that document is true is not simply the first contribution but what they do in the following year. We may wait an entire year before we seal that document because we need to find evidence that what they put on that document is true. So anyway, that gives you a little bit of insight, but we're going to get get into this more in depth. But let's get to these questions. Uh, he goes on, another question he says is, does the overseer really hold jurisdiction over the property that is given on the altar instead of the licensed minister in the sacred purpose trust. The answer is yes. <laughs> and we'll get to the, why the answer is yes in a moment. It is not the minister who holds the jurisdiction over that property. Except by permission of the overseer. And there's a reason why. Now a lot of people go, oh my gosh, that's power control. No, you, you're not. you got to get a bigger picture. Step back, calm down. Take a look at what is going on here. It fits exactly with what Christ has done, what Abraham was doing, what Moses was doing. You have to try. You've got to set down your preconceived notions and look at all things anew. But you have to look at the whole thing, not this tunnel vision. So anyway, it says, uh, can you give more scriptural references for single family choosing a minister? And he goes on, let's see, is this part of his deal? Uh, without the permission, uh, oh, without, this is me. Without the permission or choice of the people, the minister is naked. In other words, who gave this individual a right to be a minister of a particular family if, it do, if that right to do so doesn't begin with the family? It has to begin with the family. But the truth is, what the family is doing by giving that offering, they're giving something, a token offering. It doesn't have to be much. They're giving a token offering, just like you do in a wedding. You give a ring. And that's a token offering. You're going to give your whole self. But you start with a ring. You know, I, I know people got married, went through the vows and everything. They didn't go home together. They weren't even talking to each other by the end of the day. <laughs> I know people who have gotten married and were cheating on each other within 24 hours. The document said that they love, honor, and, and cherish and all this stuff, but their actions said something else. We don't just look at the document. We we see, but we verify. <laughs> okay, very important. But anyway, you want to... Uh, Scriptures. I mean, we have tons of scriptures that we're using all the time. And you go look at uh, our annotated documents. They just go down one scripture after another. But just the top one. I, I love this particular one. And this is actually not in picking the minister of a congregation. This is picking the seven. It says in Acts 6, three. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out amongst you seven men of honest report. Follow the Holy Ghost and wisdom who we may appoint over this business. Why is Peter telling them to look out and pick men of honest report so that they could appoint them over this business? Because the minister, the man that they pick, had to be appointed by the church. To be over this business, because it wasn't right that they wait on tables. And this all had to do with the daily administration. It wasn't the only thing that was a part of the daily administration, but this had to do with the daily administration to foreign groups like the Greeks. You think that's what's the Greeks in the local neighborhood? No, this is people in Greece are needing help and they're being neglected because we're not getting aid to them. And so they needed these seven. And, of course, I said, that if you, if you go read our article on that, you'll see that in the Old Testament, they did the same thing. They picked a seven. This is not your congregational minister. This is for another part of the kingdom of God. Another aspect. Another service of the kingdom of God. And we can show you how to do that. But you can't even get together and sit down in fifties. Tens and fifties. You can't even do that. And you certainly aren't contributing like the early church contributed. You know, you couldn't even get baptized in the early church unless they saw evidence that you had been contributing to the needy of your society, the widows and orphans and needy of your society, for three years. Until then, you were known as a catacomb. This is the early church. This is before Constantine. You had to be giving regularly to take care of needy near and far. For three years before you were even eligible for baptism. And they and there was some evidently some complaint, I don't see it in the writings, but by you know deduction there may have been some concern by the catacombs that we might die without being baptized. And the minister who is writing says, Yeah, but you would be baptized in blood, so there's no problem. Because remember, the baptism of water is only with water. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that saves you. The water don't save you. I mean, John the Baptist told you that. Now, pay attention. Put it together. You think, oh, the baby was baptized, or the man was baptized, so he's forgiven his sins, so he's going to go straight to heaven. You're making it up. He's just baptized with water. He may not have repented. He, he may not have. There's no power in the water. The power is the Holy Spirit. I mean, who baptized the guy on the cross? Next to Jesus. You know, you guys are making up these winds of doctrine. When you got baptized, early church says that they required that you denounce all the works of Satan. Who was Satan? It was the adversary of God. Who's that? That's the other government that operates by force. Not like John the Baptist said. Not like Jesus said. Not like the apostles said. To operate by faith, hope, and charity. That government, was the one you were joining by baptism. And in order to join that government by baptism. You had to denounce the benefits of Satan. You're not ready for that. Most of you. You're not ready for that. This pattern that we see in Acts 6.3. Of the people choosing. And the ordained minister appointing. Creates a checks and balances. It actually creates two witnesses. The minister says this is a man of honest report that I trust and I I verify my testimony of this being an honest report by giving some token gift. And the minister, nothing's happened yet. You don't even have a minister. The minister to be, he might be a minister already because of the testimony of others. But say he, there was no, he wasn't a minister yet. He had no other testimony. He now has to testify that he is actually accepting this gift for the purposes of Christ. So, still we don't have a minister yet. Because he's just saying he's accepting. He's actually, by sending that to an ordained minister of the church that has fulfilled the requirements of Christ, he is testifying that he's, he's applying for a determination letter. A determination witness that he's accepted as a minister of Christ. Well, we don't just accept it based on that document. We need to see an ongoing evidence. He needs to keep records. He needs to actually perform the service. He says he's going to. And we will verify that we see that he says he's going to. But we have to watch because we're the watchmen to make sure that he is actually doing it. What is What power do we have? We have the power to withdraw our support of him as a minister. Now, I actually have a minister who we did that with. He signed these things, testified to that, but then he wasn't keeping records. And we we talked to him about You need to keep records. And this went on for more than a year he wasn't keeping records. And finally he said, I am not going to keep records and I don't intend to keep records and I never intended to keep records. He actually testified to that fact. And I says, well, I have to unrecognize you. And I unrecognized you And not very long afterwards, exactly as I predicted would happen to him, to his face, he lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in a gigantic fire that burned up everything. Exactly as I said it was going to happen. And I was thousands of miles away and one of the first ones to report that him and his family needed help. And we've been watching over his family ever since. Because... We we didn't, we were not condemning him. we we were hard on him, because he he was testifying before Christ in a lie when he filled out this form. But we didn't we didn't do anything. We warned him. We warned him. We warned him, and we warned others. You need to get serious about seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We don't execute judgment. Holy Spirit does. And just dropped dead in a moment. We don't have... That is... that Our legal documents are in the courts of heaven. And so anyway, I actually have several more. We'll have the uh, items that we were going to talk about in an expla- explanation further on that, but we're not going to have time in this show. So we'll save that for the show this afternoon. So tune in then and we'll have call-ins with more questions. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you.